I think it's always nice to have Sean back. Although he's, he just got off your, his crutches this week, right? Wednesday. Wednesday just got off his crutches, so. It's crazy. We, I, we, I would show you pictures of what his leg looked like because it was shattered and there were like four, like, like what, seven surgeries? What? And he's still on Percocet, so he's feeling good. <laughs> You're like, oh, my goodness. Welcome to Element. <laughs> if you are new, uh, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes in all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone. You download an app. It is called YouVersion. You click on Live. It will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You get the sermon notes and the verses and all the things that go along with that. got two things before we begin. Uh, the first one is uh, usually on Easter... Churches, everybody decides, I don't know, they feel guilty about their past years to go to church on Easter. I don't know. But the rooms are always packed. So what we're trying to do is find a way for maybe some of you guys who are going to help out in some of the other services or maybe just hate the gigantic crowd that shows up on Easter. Would would you like a Saturday night service? We're thinking about maybe doing one for you who would want to come, a Saturday night service. Anybody interested? Okay, so I add that to the people from first service, and we got ten. It'll be great. We're thinking about doing it. We may not. I don't know. I'm just trying to see what interest is there. And you know, whenever you ask people who would come, they're like, yay, and then half of them show up. And the other half of that of those people who actually show up, half of them are like totally disinterested. So that's how it works. Okay. Uh, Cinderella's Closet. Uh, this is a, a thing that we're partnering with. A couple of the schools in town trying to outreach to some girls in our community who, you know, you got, you got this time of year, you know, dresses or prom and dances and things like that. And some girls can't afford all those prom dresses and stuff. So what we're doing is we're trying to find a bunch of you who maybe have some bridesmaid dresses or some old prom dresses of your own that you don't have or use anymore because, quite honestly, you're never going to fit in them again anyway. Because they're too big. My job is to offend you at least once a week. <laughs> anyway, so if you have one, and, and they probably don't even look good anymore anyway. They're probably like totally 80s, like, what? You and your feathered hair and your prom dress. Great. All right, so uh, bring your prom dresses down here uh, anytime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, during any of the three services, drop them off. If you forget and you still want to drop them off, you can send an email to info at ourelement.org, I-N-F-O at ourelement.org, and we'll set up a time to meet you here to, to pick those up. And then before the prom stuff, we're going to invite all those girls on March 9th to come in. They're going to be able to shop for free, grab any dress they want. We have some people volunteering to make alterations in the back, so they'll measure them, sew them up, so they can have a dress of all their own. It'll be nice and sweet, so, you know, give that thing you're not going to wear away please help out some girl help a girl out <laughs> i got a great idea for a video for that but i might offend everybody if i do it so be great uh, why don't you guys stay on there reading god's word <clears throat> this is genesis 36 verse 9 it says these are the generations of esau the father of the edomites in the hill country of Seir. let's pray father this morning i ask that we would be a people who better understand your grace and your goodness, that we would walk in that, knowing that all that we have is a gift from you as our great God who loves your people. Amen. Have a seat. This is Genesis week 55. So far, Genesis has covered a few thousand years of history. 
All in all, probably much, much, much more than that. Moses is giving you snapshots of life on the earth. He's not giving you everything. So you have certain places and events. Genesis 1 through 11, he recounts creation. And then from 12 on, he focuses on one family. This is Abraham's family. And in that family, you know, he's primarily focusing on the believers, those who receive the blessing, those who follow. But kind of the question comes out of that, well, what happened to the unbelievers, the people who didn't follow? What what did they do? You know, those who didn't follow God didn't really care, but they were still related to Abraham. What happened to them? Well, I'm glad you asked. And apparently Moses is too because he wrote a whole chapter about it. So that's where you get Genesis 36 from. So you can open up to Genesis 36. Uh, you'll get this chapter that focuses on them. It reads kind of like an Edomite phone book. Some names are odd. I am not going to pronounce them all correctly. I'm going to make fun of some of them. It's all going to be fine. But seriously, 4,000 years from now, if someone opened up a phone book of all your names, they wouldn't be able to pronounce them all anyway. And then you'd just be all offended because they don't know you and they don't care. And we think we're so important, but we're not. So there we go. Uh, I stole some of this message today because what do you do with Genesis 36? I don't know. Write a whole bunch of stuff, put it together. So if you think you've heard this somewhere else, just think I'm the original. Okay, that's how we'll go. We're going to go with this. Genesis 36, starting in verse 1. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Now, Esau, in case you are new and you don't know who Esau is, basically God comes in Genesis 12 to a man named Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you. You will be a blessing to the world around you. This gets passed on to his son and then his grandson. His son's name is Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They are twin brothers. Esau, in our vernacular, would be what we call today a non-believer or a non-Christian. He becomes the Edom. While his brother Jacob becomes essentially the believers, and they become what's known as the Israelites. So this is where it goes. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Now, are the Canaanites in our vernacular Christians or non-Christians? Non-Christians, exactly. That's how it's supposed to work. If you're a non-Christian, marry a non-Christian. If you're a Christian, marry a Christian. I don't say that because I think Christians are better than anybody else. I think Christians are crazy. And what will happen is, if you're, if you're a believer and you're dating a non-Christian, you will get rid of all your morals and all your vows, and you will date them and do whatever they want to do. And as soon as you get married, all of your morals come back. And the poor non-Christian is sitting there going, who in the world did I marry? What just happened? So if you're a non-Christian, run! Okay, I'm just... I'm just being honest because that's that's what that happens. All right. So Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, oh, holy Bama, which is really funny based on our current, current political climate. The daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zebulon, the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nabioth. And Ada bore to Esau, El, Eliphaz, Basemath bore Ru, and oh, holy Bama bore Jewish, Jalam, and Korah. And Korah means bald, just in case you're wondering. You're like, hey, that's a great name for my son. All right. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in Canaan. And in case you missed what he just said, verse 6, these are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Okay, he says it twice. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So they're both too rich. If you go back to the beginning, when Abraham gets blessed, Abraham and his nephew Lot have so much stuff, they have to separate as well. So the same thing happens. The land can't handle it all. So Esau settled in the hill country of and then in case you forgot from above, Esau is Edom. Then again, it says, this is the account of Esau, the father of Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. And in case you forgot it, verse 9 starts, these are the generations of Esau, the father of Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. Wow, Moses, really. Okay, these are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau. Rule, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Getham, and Kehaz. They're like the five stooges. 
Verse 12. Timnah was a concubine, and that's not a piece of farm equipment. It's not like, oh, there's my concubine. I called it Timnah. Okay, you know, th- this is like an accepted girlfriend. So verse 12, Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. Now, we just gloss over that, but this is really important in the text. It's a short line, but it's very subtle. The Amalekites become one of Israel's greatest enemies. Now, the setup for this is that rabbis and Jewish legends hold that Timnah was at one time in love with Jacob. She pursued him, and Jacob spurned her, didn't want anything to do with her, and he ignores her. So as her advances are turned away, she leaves, and she becomes the concubine for Jacob's nephew. Now, this is before Jacob and Esau reconcile. So Esau and his whole family wants to see Jacob destroyed. So Timnah is bitter over Jacob's rejection. She turns her life over to a family who is sold out to see Jacob's family's destruction. She is raised to hate Jacob. She, in turn, teaches her child to hate Jacob. After God sets the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt, they distrust God's plan. They end up wandering around in this wilderness for 40 years. And during this time, the Amalekites consistently and constantly fall upon the children of Israel trying to destroy them. The Amalekites have this relentless persecution that caused Jewish and rabbinic tradition afterwards to associate every subsequent enemy somehow with the Amalekites. Now, the the Amalekites as a people embodied all of Israel's injuries, whether perceived or real. When you get to the book of Esther in the Old Testament, the entire book of Esther comes about because of this type of conflict. You have a guy whose name is Haman. Haman is a descendant of an Amalekite king named Agag. And you have a guy named uh, Mordecai. He's a Jew. He's a descendant of King Saul. And then, you know, years and years before this, uh, Mordecai's great-great-great-granddaddy beat up Haman's great-great-great-granddaddy. In 1 Samuel 15, 17, uh, 15, verses 7 and 8, it says, Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. So this is, you know, it just keeps going and going. You get all the way to the birth of Jesus and the birth narratives. You have King Herod who is ruined. King Herod is an Edomite. He is a descendant of Esau. He tries to kill Jesus as an infant, and Esau is a descendant of Jacob. It just goes on and on and on. It says, these are the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. Verse 13, these are the sons of Ruel, these are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zarah, Shema, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Oholibama, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zebulun, Esau's wife. She bore Esau, Jewish, Jalam, and Korah. Verse 15, in case you are glazing over at this point, you know where we are. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. Now, what that means is they're starting now to actually organize into tribes and kings and political parties, and they have chiefs. And it's interesting because Israel does not do this for hundreds of years after this. So the non-Christians, they start very early. And many times it's like this. The non-Christians are way ahead of the Christians. You understand this if you like movies or music, or really any, anything at all. Yeah, you got a really cool film, and seven years later, the Christians will come out with a kind of a cool film, but not so cool because it doesn't have the great special effects. Right? You're like, ah, or music, you know, like seven years later, here come the Christians. Oh, I am really surprised that at this point there's not in the Christian bookstores like some kid going to boarding school, and his name is like Harry Snodder, and his... And he's got a headmaster, he's the Stumbledore, or some, you know, just, just something like that. It's... It, it's I'm surprised Christians today aren't still wearing parachute pants and driving around Camaros. <laughs> the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs, Timon, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's son, the chiefs Nahas, Zarah, Shema, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. Verse 18, these are the sons of Oholibama, Esau's wife, the chiefs, Jerusalem, and Korah. It's funny every time, isn't it? 
These are the chiefs born to Obama, the daughter of Anah, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. Verse 20. These are the sons of Sarah the Horite. Terrible name. Terrible name, especially if you have daughters. The inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zebulun, Anah, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. Verse 22, the sons of Lotan were Horai. Again, a bad name for a dude. And Hemam, you just leave that one alone. And Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alban, Manahath, Ebal, Shepho, Onam. Verse 24, these are the sons of Zebulun, Ai and Anah. And in case you were wondering, he is the Anah who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zebulun, his father. Oh, I was wondering that personally. Okay, verse 25. These are the children of Anah, Dishon and Oholibama, the daughter of Anah. These are the sons of Dishon, Himdan, Ishban, Ithran, and Cherah. And like a hip-hop group, they all ripe. These are the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavron, and Achan. These are the sons of Dishan, Uz. That's how I say us, so it's fine. And Aram. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs Lotan, Shobal, Zebulun, Anah, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chiefs in the land of Seir. Verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king ruled over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Boah, reigned in Edom, the name of the city being Dinhaba. That comes with rice. I got to keep you interested somehow. Uh, Bella died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Basra, reigned in his place. He sounds like hill people. And Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Temanites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, uh, who defeated the. They would probably kill us for making fun of their names, by the way. Who defeated Midian in the hill country of Moab, reigned in his place, uh, the name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samla of Mazreka reigned in his place. Samla died, and Shol of Rehoboath on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shal died, and Bahal Hanan, the son of Akbar, reigned in his place. Bahal Hanan, the son of Akbar, died, and Hadar reigned in his place, the name of the city being Pau, like Kung Pao Chigan. His wife's name was Methatabal. Wow, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mazahab. Verse 40, these are the names of the chiefs of Esau according to their clans and their dwelling places by their names. The chief Timnah, Alva, Jathith, oh, holy mama, Elah, <laughs> yeah, I know her, Pinon, Kenaz, Timam, Mibzar, Megdil, and Am- Eram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom, according to the dwelling places in the land of their possession. Whew. Thus says the word of the Lord. All right. Sweet Jesus. Like, what are you going to do with that? Okay, so... Now, what you see from this is that from Esau's line comes a family who shares essentially his unbelief, his lifestyles, his customs, his practices. And what you also see is that, that you'll have a whole lot of people who end up hating the people of Israel come out of this line. Uh, they, they live like a lot of non-Christians live today. They're only consumed with themselves. Their lives are just about themselves, which is how a lot of Christians actually live their lives today too. It's important to remember when you look at Esau and his family that God has not been absent in Esau's life. Just as he has not been absent in ours. God is clearly seen in his dad's faith. He is clearly seen in his grandfather's faith. He saw Isaac follow God and trust God and God's provision and all that God provided. And so it's important to note that Esau is not an unbeliever because he's never heard from God. But probably despite the fact that he has heard from God and probably seen God. And there are a lot of people today who are Christians simply like Esau because they simply just don't care. And there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians as well but aren't because they don't really care what God says. It's like when Jesus preached. Jesus talked about a lot of things, and a lot of people didn't believe. He even rose from the dead. And the scriptures tell you there are some people who saw Jesus rise from the dead, and they still didn't believe and didn't follow. 
Now, Esau doesn't have an excuse. He knows there is one God. And there's a lot of people who they say, well, I believe in God, but I really don't want to follow. It makes no difference. Well, there are a lot of people just like Esau. In James 2.19, it says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. Esau believes in God. So just believing in God, that's not always the best company just to be in. Now, are the non-Christians doing well? Yes, they are. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing great. The things are moving forward. They got progress. They got so much stuff they got to move. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. So the non-Christians are doing really well, and that's, this is truth. In King David, throughout the book of Psalms, laments this. Why do the evil prosper? Why do they get all these things? It's like you and I today, you watch uh, you know, reruns of MTV Cribs or Million Dollar Rooms on A&E. It's like, wow, why do they spend all their money on that garbage? How come God allows them to get that far ahead? They, they sell all these records. They're loaded. They got lots of stuff. And a lot of believers today say, why? We're going to round out our discussion kind of talking about that. Now, first off, when, you, when we go through this, who do the unbelievers marry? Unbelievers. Again, you've got, you got to leave it there. Because when, when, if you're a Christian and you marry someone who's not a Christian, they're going to have a lot of issues. If, if a Christian marries a Christian and they get married, you're still going to have a lot of problems in your marriage. But if you're a believer and an unbeliever, that just totally adds to it. So marry like you. Keep that straight. Don't mess that up. And so in this, Christians are living together with the unbelievers. The unbelievers move away. They also hold power. They are kings. They're chiefs. And today, it seems the same way. A lot of unbelievers make a lot more money. They hold more power. Uh, you know, and believers don't know what to do with that. You know, they, they raise kids and have kids that live totally those same, that same legacy they're leaving for them. And Christians get all irritated and have been out of shape. Oh, atheists and the feminists and the socialists, they, they're running everything. And a lot of Christians complain that they tax us to pay for their stuff, which is true. And believers say things like, well, that should be ours. You know, how can God let that happen? How, how can God let them get married when they don't even honor the institution of marriage? How does God allow them to organize so much better than us? They don't build altars. They don't worship God. They, don't, they only worship themselves. So I'm going to give you a big theological concept that we take from Solomon, the book of Ecclesiastes, and this big biblical concept, why this happens, is called life on the earth. There you go. It's life on the earth. That's how it works. Now, Genesis so far tells you that God made us, God gives us the earth, and he says, don't sin. And if you sin, what happens? Death. Thank you. Thank you. That's why he's an elder right there. Okay, death, okay? You sin, you die. That's how it works. In all honesty, it should work like this. The first time you sin, you die, you're done, you're over, no repeat offenders. You die, you go to hell. As soon as you sin, bam, it's, it's over. You violated God's demands. And God has the right any instant that we sin to kill us right there. And every instant longer any of us lives in our lives is simply called grace. But the problem is we have all sinned, every single one of us. So every moment of our lives that we live is simply grace now there are two distinctions to grace it's called common grace and saving grace common grace is why esau gets to get rich and have kids and be perverted and become a grandpa and be successful and ignore god common grace saving grace on the other side is what god does to save his people ephesians 2 8 says for by for by grace you have been saved through faith saving grace this is the idea god is perfect and righteous we are rebellion we are defiant we are disobedient and because of that we should be separated from god forever like if someone was in your house and they were like peeing on the carpet or they were breaking everything you have you wouldn't let them stay there when they constantly you'd be like get out of my house you nut job you would do that right you say oh no it's okay oh and we expect god to be like that too oh we should always but god becomes a man god didn't sin he dies a substitute for my sin he rises 
rises from the dead and he gives us saving grace. And now I don't need to die. I don't need to go to hell. Jesus died in my place. He gives me forgiveness. I give him my sin. I stand before Jesus with no resume that says, look how good I am or how many cats I got out of trees and how many old ladies helped across the street and how many times I, I try to destroy country music. You know, I, I don't, there's no resume I can stand before God with and say all this. I stand before God and I say I am simply saved by grace through Jesus. We do not get to heaven. We do not get eternal life. We do not become friends with God without saving grace. Saving grace is good for this life and the life to come. Saving grace is good forever, and that's what believers possess. Now, we're going to contrast today with what's called common grace. Common grace, common grace goes out to everyone, believers and non-believers, but it's only good for this life. You die, hell. And you're like, hell, yes. Okay, I'm an old-school Bible guy. I believe the devil is real. Hell is hot forever is a long time. Okay, that's, that's, just, that's just how it goes. Life today is better than it could have been, but you died. There's hell. Jesus bestows on his followers saving grace. Who gets common grace? Everybody, everybody. So what is common grace? Everything that is not hell is common grace. It works like this. You get up this morning and you say, I want to eat breakfast. And you pull out your, your Honey Nut Cheerios and the milk is gone. You're like, what do I do? So you pour orange juice on it and it's just horrible but you eat it anyway and you complain well you know what it's better than hell it's better than hell well you got to go to school i hate my school my teachers are mean i can't stand my classes you know what common grace because it's better than hell and you go to work i hate my job my boss treats me like crap they don't pay me enough no one appreciates me it's better than hell yeah, I turn the radio, and they're always ruining my favorite stations. They're always changing them to something else. I'm like, ah, why change your format? Now i got to listen to boy bands or country music, and I'm just dying. Well, you know what? It's better than hell. Barely. <laughs> you go to the doctor. Oh, oh, you, your, your heart's going bad. you got to eat healthy. No more hamburgers for you. Why? Well, you know what? It's better than hell. Everything not hell is common grace. Why do believers and unbelievers get to get married? Common grace. Why do we both make money? Common grace. And you say, well, they don't deserve it. Well, you know what? Neither do you. None of us deserve it. It is all simply grace. Our God is gracious and good to all people. Common grace. So let me show you how this works out in different areas of life. First off, creation. Matthew 5.45. He, that's God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So rain helps me water my lawn so I don't have to pay the bill so much every month. And so it saves me money. But it also saves my neighbor money. And it's all common grace. The sun comes out and believers go, oh, look, the sun is out. Then your lawn actually starts to grow when you got to mow it. And it's like, Oh, still common grace. Your lawn is great. You go to the beach when the sun comes out. You know, some tan, I burn and then peel. That's all I get. But it's still common grace. You get to ride bikes in the sun. Common grace. Acts 14, 17 says God provides food for everyone. That is common grace. You know, why does North China make the best Chinese food in the world? Common grace. It's just common grace. It's, it's amazing because God is gracious and God is good. I think about what a lot of non-Christians are doing right now. You know, they're not joining together, worshiping him. They're sitting around, watch TV, getting loaded, whatever it is, you know, but they're still there because it's common grace. Now, how about learning? Okay, areas of learning. Science makes progress. Technology, it's common grace. Uh, we had a lady give a birth just like a week and a half ago. She gets an epidermal. Epidural, that's for believers and non-believers. That's common grace. And you say, I had a C-section. Well, you know what? It's better than hell. <laughs> right? You get an allergy. You get migraines. Right? You get medicine. That's common grace. Grace. If you work inside of a building or outside, it's still common grace because you're working. You get thirsty. You don't say, well, I've got to go dig a well. 
Well, no. You don't dig wells. You turn the tap and you get water. Even if it's Santa Maria tap water, you're still getting water out of it, and that is common grace. All advancements are common grace. God has given people some brains to do much help that helps out every single person. Many advancements are made by non-Christians, and it's all common grace. Now, I know some Christians who say things like, oh, well, I'm only going to do Christian things. And I'm like, that's stupid. Like what? Wear pants and brush your teeth? What are Christian things? Common grace means some people have figured some stuff out. If a mechanic is good with cars but he hasn't trusted Jesus, it doesn't mean he isn't a good mechanic. Some girls are hot and boys want to marry them. That is common grace. It's just common. Why are they born beautiful? Common grace. How about morality, okay? Do you think the world's jacked up today? Yeah, the world's jacked up. How many think it can be worse? It could be worse, right? Why is it not worse? Common grace. God is, by common grace, has given people, God has given people a conscience. Now, some people have broken theirs, I know. But if you went and talked to probably a hundred people and asked about child pornography, they will say, it's bad. And you say, why? And they don't say, well, because God's a father and he loves children and the Bible teaches that that's wrong. No, what do they say? It's just wrong. And you say, well, how do you know? They say, it just is. Because everyone gets a conscience, and out of that comes an echo of God's laws, common grace. If you take a conscience out of somebody, they become a sociopath. No breaks, it's all evil. And we do have cops and guns and military and locks and alarms. My wife carries mace in her purse. So if you ever try and touch her, you're dead. Don't go near her, all right? But imagine if there's no common grace through conscience. Now, how about creativity? Anybody arty? Arty? Like a, okay, good, all right. Four of you. That's great. Uh, maybe you like music or art or anime. I love anime. It's, it, it, it's great. The creator gives us creation, which enables us to be creative. That's common grace. Fashion, interior design. I like greens and oranges and reds. They don't always go together, but, you know, it, it works. I like lighting and acoustic. It, it's all common grace. Anybody have an iPod or an iPhone you play music on? Okay, seven of you. Seriously, people, all right? I'm done reading the phone book. You stop, stop you know, glazing over now. All right. I, who's an iPod, right? All right, there you go. Oh, look at that. Okay, there you go. Oh, iPod, yes. Okay, now I'm paying attention. Good. All right. That's, your iPod is common grace. That's what it is. I know some of you feel like if you lose your iPod, you lost your salvation, right? But you, seriously, it's, it's, common, it's common grace. It's what it is. God gave people to play certain instruments. That is common grace. God gave people some people the ability to be able to sing. That is common grace. Some other people can't sing, so God made people the ability to make earplugs. And it's common grace. Someone, maybe a non-Christian, made the first sound system speakers rock and roll. It doesn't make it bad. It makes it common grace. Does Les Paul love Jesus? I don't know, but he makes a great guitar. Common grace. You go to the movies. Some movies are really good. Common grace. Some movies are bad. Better than hell. Right? You, you go to the movie theater, probably you know, owned by a bunch of non-Christians. You get your, your popcorn made for you by a very irritable high school kid. Acts like they hate Jesus. We don't know, but it's still common grace because you get a movie and you get to eat your popcorn. It's amazing. How about society? People get to get married, have children, organize families, nations, cities. It's all common grace. You drive by a school. There's a crosswalk so children don't get run over. That crosswalk is common grace. Why do we have social welfare programs? Someone had a conscience and compassion, and you get common grace. Now, why are they out of control? Because someone's conscience is broken and they've all become entitlements, okay? That's no longer common grace. What, what the text says about Esau is that they, he had a family and they had barbecues and they had events and all these things. What they never did was, though, is stop and thank God and say, God, thank you for all that you give me. They never stopped to worship God. And the point is that God is good to everyone and only a handful of people are good to him. Only a handful of people acknowledge it. Only a handful of people love him back. 
And even as believers, we are like spoiled kids who get so many gifts every single day. Sunrise, you get a bed to sleep in, you get breakfast and flowers and food and cars and bikes and TV and air to breathe and internet and flushing toilets and you're sick and you go to the doctor, you talk to your friends on your cell phone, you even text them during the message, don't come this morning. It's terrible. You know, I don't know, whatever, you send it off. Every day we open presents from God and we never stop to think half the time, thank you for this thing that you have given me. Instead, a lot of times we start to complain because we make life all about ourselves and I'm not getting all the things that I want to get. Many times God gives us so much that we simply start expecting things from him. Do you know how blessed you are? No matter how little or how much you have, how blessed you actually are. This is God's blessing to his people. We need to stop and we need to thank God. I mean, we never stop to ask, who keeps giving me all of these presents? Should I share these with somebody else? Well, yes, you actually should. Our lives are filled with good gifts. Common grace goes out to everyone. Coffee, love, life, babies, music, flowers in the garden, working on a tan, all of it. Christians are to acknowledge where it comes from and say, thank you, God, for these gifts. I didn't invent the car. I didn't invent the couch. I didn't invent central heating. I didn't invent sound systems, but I enjoy them and I use them. God has given people the ability to take creation and make things, do such good things for everybody else, and it is all God's goodness and common grace. Now, Esau never realized or thanked God for any of this provision. Many of us are like Esau. We get so consumed with ourselves that we stop realizing all the gifts that God has given us. We forget all this stuff comes from the gracious hand of our God. And this is why you see throughout Genesis so far, you see Abraham, then Isaac, and then Jacob. They all build these stone altars to God called Ebenezer stones, stones of remembrance. And so they remember what God has done. This is what God, God has been gracious. God has been good. God has been wonderful. They build these stones. What you never see is Esau or any of his family build these stones of remembrance. We must remember anything that we get today is not normal. Normal is hell. Why would God allow people to benefit from him? Why would he come as a servant? Why would he love us and and give to us and make us rich and let people fall in love? It is all common grace. It is all common grace. And I think common grace, when you look at it in its essential core, leads to an idea of what saving grace is all about. Common grace is part of God's way of preparing God's children for salvation. Because God gives good gifts, and when we realize these gifts, we understand those gifts, we then realize the giver of those gifts, and we love him even more. As a matter of fact, in Romans 2, 4, it says, it is God's kindness that leads us to the place of repentance. Common grace shows God's mercy in that we are bad and God is good. How many of us give blessings and kindness and, and gifts to those who ignore us and hate us? Nobody does that, but God does. I mean, one time, my grandma gave me five bucks for Christmas. I forgot to say thank you. She didn't talk to me for three years. True story, true story. Better than hell, but you know, whatever, you know. Shows that God is good and that we are bad. I mean, half of us can't even drive in traffic without getting mad at everybody else and, you know, giving the one-fingered salute and the other hand on the horn. And ah, we just, Seriously. I mean, we don't like the world, but God loves the world. I don't think he likes the state of it, but he loves the world and he keeps giving to it. That is the idea of common grace. Common grace shows that God honors his image and likeness in his creation. The first place that God shows us love is when the Bible starts. And God makes people beautiful, holy, and good. God made you beautiful, holy, and good, to be connected to him, but sin comes into the world. I mean, we were made to be great, and now we simply greatly sin and do great evil. We, we make everything about us. Our lives become crooked in our tongues and our sexuality. It's like a virus in a computer or crabgrass in your lawn. 
We just can't get rid of it. Sin starts taking over everything. Sin has wrapped itself in our minds. We don't think straight. It's wrapped ourselves around our tongues. We don't, we don't speak straight. It's wrapped ourselves around our desires, and we don't want straight. Everything becomes infected, but we were not made that way. And one of the reasons God gives common grace to all is he isn't honoring the sin, but he's honoring his likeness as God's children are to honor his likeness in other people. Common grace is also benefiting believers. Now, if you're a believer, how many of you work for, go to school with, or have a teacher who is an unbeliever, right? I mean, you are benefiting and learning. God is helping you. My favorite hobby was invented by unbelievers. My favorite restaurant is run by people who don't necessarily believe. You can get food grown by, cooked by, brought to your table by people who don't believe. Terrorists use airplanes to hit the World Trade Center, but missionaries will use planes to also reach the entire world. The Internet is a haven for pornography, but it's also a place where people can learn about the one true God. We sit in this room today listening to a sound system. You got to watch a crazy go-kart video. You get cushy chairs. You sit next to friends, hopefully. You know, you take notes on a smartphone. All gifts from a giver that we should acknowledge. Because better than the gifts is the giver of the gift because that is where it's supposed to go. And better than the things he gives is the person that he is. And we need not to just love Jesus, love what Jesus gave. We need to love who Jesus is. I mean, really for us, how many times when something goes bad in our life do we complain more than we praise? When something goes bad, do we stop and think, look how blessed I actually am. Look at all these things I actually have. God, thank you so much. We need to be a people who, are, who stop being blind to his provisions and we learn to thank God for who he is and what he's done. You, you don't be like Esau and everyone else on the planet. We thank God for all that he has provided because the greatest gift God ever provided was the gift of himself to save his people from their sin. And this is where common grace moves into saving grace, where God saves his people. And this is why we bring you to communion every single week. It's where you take that cracker and reminds us of his great gift for us. It's where you break it like his body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grapes. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we are this people who can live in this great grace and great goodness of a God who has saved us. The band will come up. I'll do a couple, Sean will hobble up anyway. Better than hell, right, Sean? <laughs> and as they do, you guys are invited to sing a couple songs and take communion. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you have lived your life in a place where it's, it's all about you and what you can get, and you're, and you're angry half the time because you don't think you're getting what you want or need. And maybe your perspective needs to change that you understand that it's all common grace. It's all grace. Every bit of our lives is. And when we begin to live that way, we actually live in a lot more joy. I mean, you drive down the street, right, and you, and you hit a green light. Common grace. You hit a red light, you know what? Better than hell. It is. It is. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we invite you guys to, to give every single week because giving is a reflection of what our God has first given to us. So it's a response, and you are welcome to do that. Uh, there's food and stuff in the back, and we invite you guys to get to know some other people because, again, understanding this whole idea of common grace enables us to then talk to the people about it. Like one of the questions in the notes on the back is, you know, what is common grace? And if you're in a GC, hope you'll talk about it this week. Uh, if you're in the back and you run into somebody, you don't know what to say, like, hey, give me a cookie. You know, like, and that's all you know. Just say, hey, you know, that cookie, common grace. It is. Not saving grace. Close. But <laughs> even bad cookies are better than hell. <laughs> see, and, and you see that laughter? That, they feel, that, that's how believers are supposed to live. We live in this great joy because we have a great God who saved us and brought us home, and gave us this great gift of laughter and joy. And we should be a joy-filled people because we have a life of grace given to us by a great God, and he is a great God. 
Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand your grace better and better. That your grace isn't about us, but your grace is about you. That you, in your great mercy, have deemed to save people. And so in that grace and understanding it, we would be a people who live in great joy. In our good times and our bad times. Because it's all grace. And Father, when things we feel like aren't going our way necessarily, we would understand that it's not about our way, it's about your way. And the goodness that you're continuing to impart to your people. And so have us live lives that reflect that grace and goodness. That we understand that it is your goodness that leads us to the place of repentance in our lives. And that you are the only God. You are not a God that people made up because if we did, you would look completely different. You would not be a God that is as good as you are and gives as much as you do and calls your people to a place of holiness like you do. Father, have us live as a people of grace. Bestowing the goodness you have placed upon us to those around us as well, where we honor your image and likeness in the creation around us. And most importantly, glorifying you by how we live and understand your grace. Thank you for loving us, a people who quite honestly, most of the time, all the time, don't deserve it. And yet you do anyway because you choose to. So to you as our only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. And thank you for your great gift of joy and grace. Amen.